I agree with my brother John. I must make a confession, except my confession is sort of the opposite. I'm secretly not a big fan of Christmas. The part that I'm not a big fan of is all of the to-dos, all of the extra, all of the hardship, all of the difficulty, all of the stress, all of the family, all of the extra meals, extra events, extra things to think about, all of the things that our world has pushed us into. But if I can set all that aside, I'm very excited about the meaning of Christmas. I'm very excited for this series. We're talking about Christmas presents, where the presence of God came in and dwelled among and with us. And so we're going to be talking about that the next few weeks because I believe it's one of the most exciting stories in Scripture. It's easy this time of year to focus on all of the gifts you have to get and all of the gifts others are getting for you and the exchange of those things. But what if, what if all of the gift buying and receiving and exchanging causes us, what if all the getting distracts us from all that we've been given? Maybe we can explain it this way. <laughs> I'm alive! I'm alive! Yeah? Yeah! Hey, Christine! You're here too! I love you! I know! Dad! What's happening? Honey, the power works! It goes on and off! Whatever we want! We've got clean water! Oh, that's great. Look at that. Ooh. I bet I know what this does. Rain down the glorious water. Ah, shoes. Oh, what do we got here, guys? Food. I want have work? This is awesome. Look at him. So what? Dad, be careful! I have a car! Did you guys see this? Yeah, you have a car! A car! (laughs) And don't forget your coffee! You're the best. It is possible to forget all of the gifts that you've already been given. This morning as I was driving in to, to work here, to worship, and uh, Tyler was with me, and he asked me what I was preaching about. I said, well, we're going to talk about the birth story of Jesus. And he said, oh, you mean the story that's been told 10 million times that everybody already knows? That's the danger. It's so common to us that we treat such an uncommon thing as a common thing. That we treat a holy moment, which such, eh, yes, of course, he was born. In the Church of Christ, we have typically, in some churches, 
because all churches are talking about this, we've decided that eh, we should avoid talking about any of it. And I, I don't think that's the right response. The scripture, the gospel accounts devote four entire chapters to the story of God becoming flesh. Of, 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 of the Almighty stepping into a little baby boy. The infinite becoming the finite. Now, do we know when that happened? No. And for those of you wondering, Christmas is not on December 25th. That wasn't when Jesus was born. Or I guess we can say we don't know when Jesus was born. But what I love about in the church that we've always been good at is focusing on the word. And if the word focuses on the story and spends four entire chapters talking about how God became flesh, I think it's something we ought to look at. Because sometimes the story that we've always heard is not the story that's really there. So I'm very excited to talk about the Christmas presents because you see there was a problem. The problem started in that God was distant. God was far from us. And that wasn't God's fault, by the way. And maybe there's some of you here this morning that feel like God is distant. Distant because of some horrible mistake you've made. You, you committed sexual impurity. And you, you, that's hidden in your past. And not very many people know about it. Maybe only you and God know about it. But because of it, you feel so ashamed. And you feel like God is distant. Or maybe you feel ashamed because you're having marriage trouble. You're struggling each day, day in and day out, to keep it together. To hold it together. And amidst all the arguing and the fighting and wondering what's going to happen next, God feels distant. Or maybe you've struggled with drugs and you're addicted and you just don't see any way out. And you know it's not the right thing, but you can't seem to, to get yourself out. And you're so weak and you're so, you're so hurt and you're so, you feel so alone and God feels distant. Or maybe you were abused when you were younger. And, and you've carried the scars of that abuse with you through all of your adult life. And God feels so distant. Can I tell you that you are in good company with the people on the pages of Scripture? That God, at one point or another, felt distant to all of them. God... Had never moved, of course. It was they who had moved. It started in Genesis chapter 3. Actually, it didn't start in Genesis 3. It really started in Genesis 2. You see, in Genesis chapter 2, I need Dalton to come up here, bud. In Genesis chapter 2, the world is described as beautiful and good. And one thing that made that so beautiful and good is that God and man were in a relationship the scripture says that they walked together in the cool of the day. It's one of the most powerful and yet unimaginable scenes of the Bible. Because we've never known that. But then quickly the story changes in Genesis chapter 3. 
And Adam and his wife Eve do that which God told them not to do. And so, as a result, there was a separation. There was a separation between God and man, between the, the, the creation, the creator, and the created. The one whom he loved with all his heart. The one made in his image. Now some people will say that the rest of the story is about Adam and all of Adam's descendants climbing and clawing their way back to the father. But that's wrong. The story is not about our climbing and clawing and trying to do enough good to get back to God. That could never happen. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No. From Genesis chapter 3 all the way until the end of the book is this story of God getting closer. It goes in the book of Exodus when the presence of God comes down upon the mountain, descends on the mountain, and the people are called to come up. And yet they must keep a distance from the holy God. They're to purify themselves and make themselves holy because they're in the holy presence of God. And to treat the holy presence of God in an unholy way will mean certain death. And so the people approach God with fear. And they say, please, please, don't, don't make us go toward God. But the story gets better. God comes closer. And he, he dwells with the people in the thing called a tabernacle. This mobile tent of God that was built and constructed for the purpose of having the dwelling of God be with his people. And whenever the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud would dwell over, they knew as God's tabernacle was in the center of the camp that God was near. But they were still to treat it with the holy place. When Solomon would build the temple, there was still a part of that where the presence of God was called the most holy place. And there was a separation. You, not just anyone could go in there. In fact, only one guy could go in there one time a year. And he had to do it with absolute respect and holiness. You see, there was still a separation. But God was coming closer. And then, and then, after 400 years of silence in the book of Malachi, God does something amazing. He steps into time. He steps into our world. And he comes back. Not in the power and the might and the glory and the majesty. But he comes back in the presence of the most unexpected, in the most unexpected way possible. Dalton, have a seat. How he came back in that most holy moment was in the form of a child. Ah, keeping babies in the pulpit now, are we? In this the most unexpected way that as God got closer to his people, the form which he took as he came into our world was a little baby boy. Born to a poor, unknown couple. Born to a mother who, as was already told earlier, in every way, not expecting a child. Young ladies, can you imagine being given such a burden? Having to explain that to your friends and to your parents and to all the people 
in that town, as that little bump got bigger and bigger, no, 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 really, I, I didn't do anything wrong. No, 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 really, an angel came. No, 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 he said that this boy was special. Oh, the story is such a beautiful story. And we so easily forget the moment and the importance of what God was doing. And that tiny little boy, born to a poor unknown couple, not even a place to stay, worshipped by common shepherds, his, his birth being obscure, and yet they called him a king. A king, you say. The Messiah, you say. All the prophets, all of the priests, every part of the story has pointed to you. When God dwelt with us, He started in the way that we all start. But what was happening in that moment is that God was no longer distant, God was close. He was close as he's ever been. And it makes the story so beautiful. Turn to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18. This is where we start. The scripture says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being... Just being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Yeah, that's part of the story you rarely hear. But that baby's caused so much scandal that Joseph thought maybe it would be better just to leave this situation entirely. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That little boy was born and in such an uncommon way, and he came for an uncommon purpose. All this took place to, be, to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to the son, and he called his name Jesus. Again, do we know when this happened? We don't know. But to ignore the story is to ignore a powerful and beautiful baby. Jesus was God's greatest gift to his beloved Adam's race. He had always been near us, but now you see he was with us. So we think for just a moment this morning about a couple of gifts that we see as we behold the baby boy. First, we understand that God had a plan. When you count up the chapters, 
or when you use Google to count up the chapters in the Bible, the count says that there are 1,189 chapters in this book. And all creation was good. Everything that we see that was created, all of us were good for exactly two of those chapters. Then sin entered, and the other 1,187 chapters is the story of what God did about it. Not what we did, but what God did in him. As soon as the fall came, I referenced Genesis chapter 3 earlier. Turn there and look at verse 15. Because this is right there, right at the fall, the moment when Adam stepped away from God. Verse 15 says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to the serpent here. Between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. God predicted that the one who would deal with sin would be the seed of a woman. Now, of course, we know in in human reproduction, the seed often comes from the male. And yet this one, this coming one, would not be born in a normal way. He would be born the seed of woman. And starting from there and continuing through centuries of of the story, God continues to weave this scarlet thread to remind us you are not alone. I have not forgot you. I am coming back for you. There is one coming who shall redeem you. He will be the Messiah. When Adam sinned, you see, God had a plan. When Cain killed his brother, God had a plan. When the world was full of evil and the thoughts of the inclination of the heart of man was only evil all the time, God had a plan. In the genealogies, in those pages and pages that you read through in Scripture that you sort of skim over, if you're honest. What God's telling us there is that he has and had a plan. And when you messed up. When you did the thing you shouldn't have done. When you did the thing that broke the family apart. When you did the thing that caused heartache and havoc. When you did the thing. God had a plan. In Matthew chapter 1, the part that we didn't read, the the genealogy, starting there in Matthew says, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And he goes down this list. What we see here is that Jesus' family tree was just as dysfunctional as yours and mine. That we've got just as much trouble and that God is not shocked At our worst moments. That the scandal of redemption. Is God working in all of those stories. And in all of our stories. To redeem the scandal. And the scandalous. When you look at the predictions made. Hundreds or even thousands of years before Jesus came. It should build your faith tremendously in God's plan. In in Genesis chapter 49. Verse 10, we're told that the scepter would not depart from the house of Judah. That this this coming one would be from the tribe of Judah. In Micah chapter 5 verse 2, we're told that he would be born in Bethlehem. This was 750 years, give or take, before he would be born. But you, O Bethlehem, you are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me. One who is to be the ruler in Israel. 
Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel. The entire story of the Bible is the story of not us getting back to God, but of God's plan to get back to us. Now, make no mistake about it. Jesus was always there. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 and following, Paul writes these words to the saints at Colossae. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him. Remember all the way back in Genesis 1? When they said, let us make man. The word us there is reminding us that Jesus was there long before you and I. Long before anything. Colossians goes on to say, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things consist. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. For in him, Colossians 2.9 says, dwells all the fullness of Godhead, of the Godhead bodily. It's a constant reminder that God has a plan and that the plan is him. Gift number two, Jesus became a man. We, we said he was already there in Genesis chapter 1. And in Matthew chapter 1, he interrupted four centuries of silence. And now the presence of God was not from a mountain, not from within the pillar, not from behind the curtain, but from it within a manger where a little baby cooed as God took on flesh. How did that happen? How did that transpire? The scripture says that's a mystery, but we know that it did. And he was sent for a purpose. Romans 8, chapter 3 says this, For what God has done, what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemns sin in the flesh. You see, some people take a lot of hope in the plan and in the rules. But here's the problem with the rules. I'll just demonstrate. This morning, I would like to ask you for the rest of the sermon, please do not pay attention to or look at my name tag. This name tag right here, I don't want you to look at it. Uh, please stop. You can look at me, that's fine, but don't look at the name tag. Now, if you're honest, and I won't show, ask for a show of hands because everyone would go up, and those that didn't go up would be the liars, and then they would be sinning. Here's the problem with the rules. Here's the problem with the law keepers is that there's something within us. I don't know if, our, if it's our fleshly nature, if it's our sinful nature, but the Scripture says there's something about us. The, the, the Scripture in Ephesians would say, while we were dead in our trespasses, meaning there's something within us that rebels against the rules. And some of us, you know, are open rebels. You know, we don't care. We, we just rebel. We, it doesn't bother us that anybody sees us or anybody uh, says anything about us. We're going to do what we want to do. That's one type of rebel. The other type of rebel is 
probably the more common. And that is the quiet rebel. The rebel who does the wrong thing in silence and in secret. And he or she thinks that just because they're not being caught, just because no one knows, it somehow makes them less rebellious. You see, God couldn't deal righteousness to us through the rules because there's something within our nature that causes us to rebel against the rules. How do I know that? Because lots of you are looking at my name tag. And so to redeem us, he had to send himself to pay the price, to atone for our sin, to become sin, as Scripture later says, to become the sin offering on our behalf. He has always been the center of the story. If we put together scriptures like Isaiah 9 and Mark 1 and John 1 and 2 Timothy chapter 1, we get something like this. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming in the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, and the world did not know him, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as have received him, he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were not born of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Which leads us to the final purpose, the final thing that we need to remember about the story, about the gift that he gave of himself. And that is that Jesus came to save. I'm fairly sure you know John 3.16. That's a, a one that most everybody knows and if you watch a little football now and then, you'll be reminded to turn there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. But verse 17 reminds us of this important truth. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that, through, that the world might be saved through him. To the young man struggling with pornography addiction. To the young lady struggling with drugs and alcohol. To the married couple who doesn't know if they're going to make it and whose marriage and family is hanging on by a thread. Jesus came to save you. To the man who thinks he's been forgotten by God and who is not sure that God would ever want anything to do with him. God has not forgotten you. God has a plan, and his plan involved himself becoming a baby and coming into our world. And, of course, the story goes on. It's not just about the babe in the manger and, and the, the perfect life that he lived, but it's about the man on the cross and the fact that he was raised three days later. But none of that would have happened had the babe not come into the manger. 
And as Mary and Joseph beheld that baby boy, they were reminded that God had not forgotten them. And I want to share with you this morning that God has not forgotten you. And he didn't come into the world to condemn you. That was not his purpose. His purpose was to rescue you from the only thing that you could possibly have rescue from yourself. He came to rescue you and to save you. He didn't come to to judge you and to condemn you and to to push you away. But he came to hold you close, as close as human skin can hold human skin. As hold as close as Mary held that baby boy. God wants to hold you. He was born so that you might be adopted as sons and daughters. So let him. Let him. Come to him as the source of the free gift of eternal salvation. He himself said when he was a man, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation that whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now, make no mistake about it. The first time he came into this world is going to be very different from the next time he comes into this world. He came to earth as an obscure Hebrew baby, born to a poor, unknown family. He left this earth seen only by those who knew him and loved him best. And as he did, they were told that he would return in the same way. Only on that day, on that day, everyone will know that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we're told that every tongue will confess That he is Lord and every knee will bow. Your knee will bow to the risen Lord Jesus Christ. The question is whether it will do so now by your own will or later because of his will. I hope that you'll bow your knee and confess your tongue to the only one who could save you. To the only one who could save all of us. If you need to know him this morning, I'm excited to tell you. That the free gift of God is exactly that. A free gift of God. And it came through His Son. And if you're ready to receive it, if you're ready to open it, if you're ready to do what He said, then you can do that this morning. And if this morning maybe you feel like you have grown so distant from God. You're here, but you're not really here. You're present, but you're far from the presence of God. I want to ask you this morning to come. I want you to know that his mercy and grace and love remains a gift to you. I hope that you'll know that your father loves you. And I hope that you'll receive his grace and mercy this morning. If you need our love, our encouragement, our prayers, we'll be glad to give you that. Or if you're ready to begin your journey with Jesus this morning, won't you come forward as our shepherds come to receive you? If you have any need, please come as we stand and sing together.